Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go. There once was a man. <laughs> Bingetown, how are we feeling today? It's your boy, Dave, back with my fellow Bingetown Pirate crew members. We got Kyle, who was not on last episode, subbing in for Paul. And then we got Luke and oh, Alki. I, ain't I no guess sub. not subbing in. Yeah, not subbing in. But... <laughs> yeah, good, good. If anything, Alki's subbing sub. in for Paul. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, the, no, I'm, like, I'm like the sixth man, dude. Sixth man of the year. That's true. I think. Will, baby. <laughs> All right, we are hyped to be continuing our discussion of Netflix's live-action One Piece, specifically covering episodes three and four today, Tell No Tales, and The Pirates Are Coming. Before we get into it, as Kyle always says, let's get into some Bingetown housekeeping. The best way to support us is just by subscribing on whatever podcast app you're listening to. We also just recently fired up our Discord. We are constantly interacting with the channels on there, and you can find a link for it in the description of this episode. And lastly... If you're listening to us on our One Piece specific feed, be sure to check out our main podcast channel, Bingetown TV. We have over 400 episodes covering countless shows, and we are more than confident that you will find something there that you will like. Now, to get back into One Piece, these episodes focus solely on the Syrup Village and the father of lies himself. Hey. Shout out to Wheel of Time, Usopp. <laughs> Which we also cover on the podcast. Which we also cover as well, yes. <laughs> and boy, does this show continue to do it for me. The show provides enough freshness for manga readers that it veers just a little bit off the course. And honestly, it's been working for me. We get a lot of new information. And it's just cool seeing how certain relationships are developing, which for the manga were behind the scenes. But now we get to see on screen, introduced to some new great characters, new great villains as well. Let's start it off with what were your guys' general thoughts on the episode? I can go first. Um, are we speaking of just episode three or just both? Or of them? sorry, both of them combined. Okay, yeah, I just wanted to clarify. Um, you can give your one and two thoughts just quickly if you want. Oh, true. So I guess just like a really like higher level take is just like I obviously love One Piece so much. I mean, if you're watching, on you can see that I have you know the books behind me. The series as a whole means like a lot to me. I mean, this was like one of like our first connections. I feel like we made like when we all started becoming friends in elementary school. Like when I moved to you know be near you guys um so it's really emotional and nostalgic like watching the show and you know we're hitting these big story beats and like the ending of episode four like we're getting the merry and stuff and i was like oh my god like this is just this is exactly what i feel like you would want i mean obviously it's not gonna be perfect you know one piece is such a wacky zany story at times that it's hard to translate it to live action i mean obviously i'm not the only person in the world that's ever formulated and voiced that opinion but it's just i smile i laugh 
I just I really love Nami and Zoro. Usopp was making me laugh a little bit too. Uh, so it's just it's just a good fucking time. And I thought that they did Kuro really well. It's just it's it, these two were fun to watch. And let's just put you on the spot because you didn't have an opportunity for last episode. But what we did was at the very end of the podcast, we went around and just roundtable picked our three favorite performances and not like in terms of acting, but in terms of representing the manga character. So if you just off the rip and you have the added benefit of episodes three and four to make your decision. Straw hat wise, it's definitely Nami is number one for me, for sure. And then Buggy is was great. Maybe not exactly like the some of the things aren't exactly, but he was so good as Buggy. I thought he was really fun. And then like a weird one, Helmeppo. Oh, dude, you picked my three. I yeah, three. yeah. It's just he was just like he really like comes off the screen, which is funny because I feel like first time I read, I was like, I don't give a fuck about this dude, but he feels much more interesting in the live action. Last podcast episode, I mentioned how I think they're doing a really good job of capturing the essence in a short time. And really like conveying these arcs, uh, they're fulfilling the message, I think, uh, completely. And I think they're continuing on that pattern in episodes three and four. I don't feel like they really missed anything. And I'm really satisfied as somebody who has been so deep into the story for so long. I don't feel like I, I just feel like they're doing it justice. Zero misses so far. We are four for four. I'm almost confident enough to say that we're going to be eight for eight. Like this is just everything you see on social media. People are loving this. And last time we talked when we recorded, which for us was two days ago, I think it was the day that uh, One Piece actually dropped. So the ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, a little bit more settled. And I was just pleasantly surprised to look up while we were starting this podcast that all of the season one IMDb episode by episode ratings are pretty solidified now because everything has over 5,000 reviews, so it's not going to change much. And um, overall, I think the series is sitting at, sorry, one second, it's an 8.5 amazing really television. And looking at it as an episode by episode breakdown, only one singular episode is under an 8 out of 10. And that one episode was episode three. It was a 7.9. And then what's also awesome is there's two um episodes above nine that have yet to come so back half of the season like you're gonna apparently is where it gets the best so if you're, if you're already in through the first four i think you're gonna to everybody's gonna love the series and i will say i feel a little bit better after looking at these ratings that i thought episode three was slightly the weakest of the four so far um at this point i've seen the first two three times in the last 70 hours so we, we watched it last night with darren both of them one and two. Oh, really uh, oh dude that's funny yeah, i'll be literally. honest Rewatching them last night again they hit even harder the third watch like i was that's like this great. is such a great show. kendall watched the first one with us too which was awesome. <laughs> i love well it's funny talking to your dad and your dad had watched it and he was like cracking up at the not a crew joke yeah. thing and that was like that was so awesome that he said that we talked about that in the podcast too a little bit yeah. oh yeah that's good and yeah, i yeah. was leaving this morning he was just getting to the end of episode two of uh wheel of time so he's oh, oh he's wow. living it with us right now. yeah i was just gonna say our our content heaven is now becoming his content heaven all right let's get into this so how we're gonna break up these episodes is i think since we have we're obviously covering three and four i think what we're gonna do is just knock out zoro's backstory just right off the rip here um and then we'll just kind of go basically chronological in the events that happen in the present day um so let's go right into episode four with zoro's backstory and so we open up we get it is i think it was seven years ago it said in the shimotes i'm gonna butcher this but shimotsuki village and we see two 
fencing characters, whatever, um, going at it. One of them is clearly getting their ass handed to him. We have the sensei overlooking everything. I don't think we get his name drop here. We find out that the person getting their ass beat is actually Zoro, and he's losing to his rival, Kuina, who, honestly, I thought her character design looked really good. Blue hair was doing it for me, and you know, I think she was a good representation. After getting his butt kicked, Zoro kind of storms off in a rage and then comes back for a rematch against Kuina, this time bringing two swords with him and still not enough to get the job done against Kuina. <laughs> Kuina still easily hands it to Zoro. In my opinion, and again, it's kind of hard for the show, but obviously I, I felt that this like felt more emotional in the manga and everything, but I feel like they're using the backstories really well. Uh, like in the pacing of how they're introducing them to us. So like it was still fun. Like when uh, Shimatsuki Village popped up, I was like, oh, like I sat up and like literally wrote that. I was like, write that down, write that down type of deal. So it was good. I mean, and I thought Queen's actor did a good job like delivering like kind of like the climactic moment of her being like, you know, I'm a woman. This is how things will go in the future. I thought that that hit really well. I mean, we haven't gotten too many backstories, but this one did feel like maybe a little rushed. Like it didn't feel like when we do find out in the next scene here that uh, something happened to Queena. There was an accident and she's no longer with us. I don't know what the exact quote was, but I don't even think they used the word dead, which we'll put a pin in that potentially for later on. No, I agree. I just think the in the backstory from the source material, it's a very deep moment. It's uh, clearly like a character building piece of, of Zoro's life. It just felt a little shallow. While it did feel shallow, I think they placed it well in the, in the episode because it was parallel to Zoro climbing out of the well and mm -hmm. I thought it did a good job representing like him overcoming like whatever hardship he's in and the hardship he had in the past you know with that being said yeah sure like I could have it could have been a little bit more of a tearjerker but I like I said at the beginning of the podcast I don't I think they're doing a good job of of carrying the overall message yeah. through these episodes which is sexism is bad yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the sexism yeah. turns into Zoro announcing his dream for the first time which is that was a cool moment but my highlight for this which I continue to bring up is the sword play in this show is so good so even as 10 year olds like that quick little fighting they were doing it looked amazing so if they keep delivering on the fighting scenes like they are I'm just going to be in heaven anytime we get action yeah Kawina explains here that while she is very confident in her skills now, she's a little worried that later on she won't be as good of a swordsman as the other boys that are there because they'll grow stronger, bigger than her. Her Their arms will be longer, and that puts them automatically at advantage over her. But Zoro kind of shoots back at her and says, that's a pathetic excuse. Just train hard like with me, and we'll become the greatest swordsman ever. And then again, we find out that Kuina has passed away, and there's been an accident, which the sake drinks kind of reminded me a little bit of Luffy's backstory a little bit because there was three cups, three glasses yeah. placed there. And so that kind of was a little bit of a shout out there. But I'm pretty sure that is really just it for Zoro's backstory. I don't know if you guys have any other comments on young Zoro, young Kawina, really quickly. I, I saw a really interesting, I guess I saw it via TikTok. It was an interview with with one or two of the directors from the series. And one of this like kind of tidbit stories they gave was about this scene. And initially, I think they shot it and like they had the masks on and everything and stuff and they showed it to oda and he was like no like i don't like it i do it again thing, like, actually yeah like with like the the mask obviously he wasn't like demanding like that but he basically said like he wanted the mask off he wanted their faces and then they reshot it and they were like yeah of course dude so it was just funny like because they were talking about like the level of input that he had and it was like so high which obviously you know Maybe. that was part of like the reason why i was getting more and more excited as the show was getting closer and closer 
was because like he was so involved in it you know I'm, not to disparage the witcher completely but like that feels like you know when you get that level of input from someone that's the creator of it like you know, how george r. r martin was in that show as well I was so i gonna say that too yeah, it was just it's just so nice to hear that of how involved he was. Obviously, we made some jokes as like we were, you know, like reading the manga and it's going on breaks and we're like, ah, oh, he's fucking focusing too much on the Netflix show. But like, you know, tongue in cheek way. But it's it's nice that it that it did that. And they gave him that level of respect. I actually am so surprised he is so involved, just, you know, considering how much wear and tear One Piece does, you know, takes away from his body. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm really I feel so satisfied and like appreciative as a fan yeah. that he's uh, considering us so much. Honestly, it's funny, it's funny kind of thinking back. If like two years ago we were reading and there was probably like a stretch of breaks, like we would have never assumed like he was taking that break, <laughs> you know, to work on the show. So now, yeah. now with the hindsight, I'm like, all right, Oda, like you could take the breaks, you know? Yeah, as of course. I want you pumping out content. This is good. I mean, what? This has been a two year production, right? Yeah. I mean, that's very, I mean, that's substantial. Yeah. And him talking about it, he's been basically been like nine years in the making, which is insane. That's crazy. And it's paying yeah. off, though. It is definitely paying off. Sanderson, yeah. take notes. <laughs> well, he is, I think. I know, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the episode three opens up with a young Usopp. Again, I'm just going to keep calling him the father of lies because I just love that nickname so much. We see him ringing this bell. He runs through the town pretty much like every day and is just shouting, the pirates are coming. It's the boy who cries wolf story, if you aren't <laughs> familiar with that. And we flash forward a little bit, what is it, 10, seven years again to the current day where Usopp is now still an adult, still running through the vi village, declaring that pirates are arriving. And the villagers are completely fed up with him and his antics at this point in time. There's really no rapport between Usopp and the village. They clearly kind of find him, find him to be a nuisance more so than, you know, a friend. And then let's just talk about his backstory with the mom. and Yeah, and then so later on, we get a quick shot, actually, of Usopp getting dragged by one of the villagers back to his house that the guy's like, stop doing this. You're really annoying. And he, so Usopp returns to his house and his mom's kind of telling him to stop being a nuisance to the villagers. He's basically waiting for his dad, who we know in next episode, episode four, is Yasop. And he is just constantly waiting for his return. He seems to be very proud of his father. And once it seems like almost that he wants to hear about all the stories that his father's been on and his mom kind of shoots him down. He's like, your father's really not going to come back. And in this moment, she also passes away in Usopp's arms, which classic One Piece. We just have some sad <laughs> backstories for just every character that we get introduced to. So oh, get used so to it. Bad. And yeah, I think Usopp, I, he looks perfect. I think so too. I like his nose, and I, I know it's his real nose, but I actually—it's like pointy. It reminds me of Usopp from the show. It's great. Yeah, I don't have anything yeah. really to add there, but it is just nice that because it's a—it's a truncated show. Like we're not going to have all the time to flesh out the backstories. Like we just said, the Zoro one was a little surface level. Same with this, but it gets the message across. It hits the right beats, and we—it kind of explains modern day Usopp and why he is the way he is, and that's all that we really needed to get from this. I have a general comment about the backstory and backstories in general of the show. They've been hitting the nail on the head, man, with the casting of the younger characters. Yeah, seriously, like everyone has been a hit. No, they have not missed at all. Every one resemble like it could be a childhood photo of the current actor and like current time I, I just it's always so hard to do that we always i feel like when i listen to you guys you know record and when i when we talk about shows that's something we always comment about and it's just a testament to how well they're doing the story absolutely couldn't agree more and so now we find ourselves back with our trio here of luffy zoro and nami 
Luffy makes the Jolly Roger for the ship, and to Zoro and Nami's dismay, they do not agree with it. They do not like what Luffy has drawn here, and he does also announce that they are the Straw Hat Pirates, which to me has a pretty nice ring to it. Nami and Zoro were definitely wrong here. They didn't think yeah, it was yeah. really intimidating, but the Straw Hat crew has a great ring to it. <laughs> I just like um how much they're building this idea of like Luffy's obviously a different kind of pirate versus like what they're used to especially nami i mean obviously we know everything about nami's story that's to come and everything but like you're really i think doing a good job of for the uninitiated i guess you could say that like she has this super negative idea of piracy and each episode we see luffy is chipping away at that notion that she has which is just fun love it i said it in the first podcast like i'm obsessed with nami and like both her <laughs> yeah. anime character and her live action like as yeah. a character i love nami and i've been making sure to point out all these little character moments for her because she gets a couple more in these two episodes and i i really think she has almost the best character work subtly written in the show so yeah. far and work and it makes sense with what we know about the future which we're not again to reemphasize we will not do any manga future spoilers until the last 10 minutes of the podcast so stick around if you have read and we'll make a disclaimer if you haven't so you won't hear us ruin anything for future episodes so zoro clogs the hypothetical toilet that's on the <laughs> ship and they need to make a pit stop in the gecko islands since the ship mm -hmm. is taking on water they need to find a better ship the crew lands at Syrup Village, and uh, Luffy kind of is walking around looking for the right ship. Nami and Zoro are kind of talking about how are we going to afford one. We'll just take it if we need to. But of course, <laughs> Luffy is going to harsh, harshly disagree with that. And he's walking around, and he finds a ship that is worthy of the Straw Hat crew. It's uh, a ship that has a sheep on the as its mast, or not mast. I don't know what you would call that, the, the head of the ship, whatever. But um, we also get a little bit of inspiration here from luffy talking about how he considers you know ships to be a part of the crew and while he's kind of talking about the ship itself to himself usopp pops up and luffy immediately tries to strike a deal for the ship but it's not usopp's to give away he however he does know the owner of the ship and the shipyard as well again for us epic meeting of just straw hat pirates so i'm just always going to be happy when it happens but i do love that little moment when it's before luffy finds the ship and he's like, we're not stealing it. And then he goes, I'll go find it. I'll go talk to to one of the salesmen or one of the shipwrights. And then they look at each other and they say, so what are we actually going to do? I The reason I love that <laughs> is just because they're like the adults in the room. Yeah. Let Luffy just do whatever he wants. And then they always have to have like an actual realistic mindset as like a backup plan. So I love that little moment. With their new friend Usopp, he takes them to the owner of the shipyard, who is this girl named Kaya. So they're heading to Kaya's place. And they're in the backyard. They're going in the back entrance, not the front yard, which I, is subtly important for Usopp's character because, as we quickly find out here, the housekeepers of Kaya's mansion, who are we get introduced to as Butchie and Sham, are not fond of Usopp. They clearly have a disdain for him. He's constantly showing himself up to Kaya, and they think it's more of an annoying, but Kaya does find it to be pleasant. But in a second here, Cloudor comes out, who is the butler, he is chaperoning Kaya by his side and who basically invites them all to dinner because they are friends of Usopp and Usopp has a gift to give her. I don't know if it's been announced yet that it's her birthday, but that is a big important part of this for this episode. And then just lump in the dress up scene. We could just talk through everything there up until the dinner. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to like the dress up scene uh, with Nami in the room and Zoro coming in and then the actual dinner itself. They have done such great work with Nami's character. 
it's like again we get here you know i mean her thoughts about rich people and she's very she's quite you know nihilistic i guess you could say or negative it seems like um pessimistic about most things in life while luffy's just you know being an absolute goofball i didn't even seem like luffy got a shower or anything like he, he was like you know you guys can all shower and clean up and get changed and stuff and i i could be mistaken but it definitely didn't seem like luffy engaged in either of those activities which was luffy's really funny not a shower. he does not come off as a shower yeah <laughs> I saw too that um like Zoro's outfit that he ends up picking like again they're just good with like it was from like maybe like volume six cover. from the cover so like obviously Oda does like a bunch of art um for the Straw Hats and has put them in uh, thousands of outfits I guess you could say over the years so it's fun I'm I'm sure it was fun for like the costume department to like you know pick out ones they liked and things like that and like where to plug them in through the story that's i I would be actually really interested to learn more about that it's probably so nice to have that like inspiration those yeah that content to work with and inspire outfits from it's not something like you have to like visualize and put together it's just something that's like actually in front of you that you can just yeah. easily kind of use and i'll just take a second to quickly talk about Claudor and kaya who i'm just going to start calling captain like kuro going yeah. forward we if you've seen this you've already seen episode four you already know that so i'm going to keep using kuro i like that name better uh but kaya yeah great like it kind of exactly what you what you picture from the manga nothing really to add there but kuro i fucking live for the adjustment of the glasses which it's just one of my favorite little quirks that Oda ever did across any of his characters. And you find out later it's because as a pirate, he would do it to avoid cutting his face with his claws, obviously. And it just, I don't know, it just does something for me because that's just like one of those little moments. And it, it was always something that people made fun of from the manga was Kuro's butler outfit has like the gold shit on it, like the two gold shits. And they did a great job of making it very true to like what he wears in the anime manga. Mm -hmm. So I love him. I won't say he's as good as Buggy, but he's he is as good as we could ask for for Kuro. Yeah. And really quickly, Nami and Luffy make a little side bet, which I think kind of emphasizes again how two different mindsets they have. So Nami makes a bet that Luffy will not be able to get the ship from Kaya pretty much. And and if that doesn't work, then Luffy agrees that they will have to steal a ship. I love that little twist that Luffy's uh degenerate like myself now he likes gambling <laughs> can't be a degenerate if he needs to be we knew nami was but luffy hell yeah <laughs> and uh captain kuro also gives a little bit of a, his backstory into the situation here he's been working for kaya for three years now um he was there ever since kaya's parents had uh, mysteriously died from disappearing on at the sea and then we get a quick shot of butchy and sham whipping up some poison in the kitchen you're captain kuro i honestly forgot about this like part of it when they get dressed up later when it's like the mask is is has dropped or whatever you want to say and like their actual villainy comes out i was like oh my god yeah but i forgot about these characters so this really? was like a fun little like kind of memory like you know remembering this kind of stuff um which is something i've been enjoying as well obviously and throughout the show they did gender change the sham it's, I think they're supposed to be like the brothers, whatever, but that's maybe that's a reason you didn't remember right away. Yeah. When I saw them, I was like, hell yeah. I don't, yeah. it doesn't matter at all that they change the gender. It's emphasizing again, like this is going to happen so much, but just the characters are have just been so on point to their manga counterparts. It's so like when they come on screen, I just immediately am able to tell who they are and know what they are. All right. This is where the dinner begins. Really quickly, Nami meets the person in charge of Kaya's finances. It's this goat figure, sheep figure <laughs> named Mary. Wait, he's a goat. We'll give him goat. He's, yeah, he's a goat. He's yeah, we'll, we'll give him goat status for sure. <laughs> and then at the same time, Zoro is introducing himself to Kuro, trying to 
He's like, we've met somewhere was the funk bar, which I like these name drops. They personally mean mean nothing to me. I don't know if we've ever been introduced to those stories, but still just getting the name drops of the world of like places is just always really cool here. And Kuro obviously denies ever having been at any of these places that Sora suggests. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Nami trying to charm him like she was charming that Marine back in Shellstown. Yeah, trying to. But the goat didn't fall for it. They move themselves to the table, and we can kind of see here just how strict Captain Kuro is with Kaya. Kaya wants to try some of the fish. Kuro immediately denies that request to try for her to try anything new because of potentially the sickness and that things like that. And Nami kind of fights back here a little bit, saying she should be able to do whatever she wants, especially on her birthday. We also discover that Kaya will become the sole proprietor of the shipyard at midnight. So I guess it's still been in her parents' name. And then when she becomes of age at midnight, she will become the sole proprietor. So let's so just a comment or two about that dinner scene. And then I guess the whole thing in general that we that Dave just went through. One thing I really liked is that they they did a good job. As soon as Luffy mentions Axan Morgan, Kuro, they focus on his face for a second, because that's like his whole backstory of how he escaped the pirate life. So I like that they they made sure that he noticed. And that was cool. And then my random comment, I guess, and maybe you guys tell me what you think about it, but I thought that the Luffy scene when he started a speech, what he starts giving and then standing on the table started off like super cringy, even for me, but he flipped it at the end, like right when he got close to Kaya and like leaned in and started talking to her, then he like his actor completely saved that for me. But that is the type of thing where I could so see it being like a turnoff because it it was even extra over the top before he led up to the, like, I'm going to be king of the pirates and stuff. And then he talks about the ship and like how much it's going to mean to him. But that to me got me a little like cringy, at least for this part of the episode. And that was like, that. I feel like our main concern going into the show as a whole, it's just Luffy's tough, man. He's just such a whack ball that it's just like, and he does like, he has such a spectrum of like what, like he says funny, stupid shit. And then like, here's obviously really serious moments too. And like, you need to be able to do both. Um, so I, I do agree with you. It was a little like, okay, at, at the start. And then now I'm just even thinking about it now, I kind of, I chuckle and brings a little smile to my face. So I agree that it was a cringy moment for me too while watching, but I also think it's like been the worst of it. Yeah, I agree. And also um, if it happens as often as it has been happening, like not very often at all, that's as much as we could hope for. Yeah. Totally yeah, I mean, seriously, like if that's making you cringe and not the costumes and like shit like that, you know, we're in good shape. And I just, it's worth pointing out because we're all praises, basically. I just want to still put it out there when I can see when this kind of thing can be a turnoff to the average year. Yeah. Because I'll also put it out there that I thought Usopp's lies and stories he was telling to Kaya a couple scenes ago was pretty cringy for me, too, when he's like jumping on the bed and like doing that. But that is as true to the manga as you really can be. So it's like yeah. almost unavoidable unless you want to break his character. So I get it, but I also understand where Kathleen, other podcaster on a, on Bingetown TV, if you're unfamiliar with her other stuff, she's about to binge this whole season and she has never touched an anime or manga in her life. She knows we're obsessed with this, but she's going in with fresh eyes. Like those are the kind of things that I think are going to really like stick out to her. But I'm hoping Probably. she's going to be the test for us to know like how bad is this for someone that has never touched anime or manga. So, yeah, you know, they're needed. And that went well, charged. don't you think? <laughs> see yeah i mean I, the fact that like luffy is making me laugh is pretty much all i can hope for yeah i um, love i personally loved his speech because again it adds more depth to our beloved luffy as a character because we know how he interacts with other people you know he has a like he's willing to see the good in everybody he's not willing to you know 
really kill anyone. He's just he's just very carefree, but he takes that and also applies it to not just people but objects as well. So we've already seen him with the hat, you know, how, how much he cares and loves his hat. He almost sees it as a part of himself. And here too in the speech when he's talking to Kai, he's also talking about how the ship is going to be a part of them. It's not just a pl- a thing for them to travel on, like it's going to be their home, it's going to be a friend to them and I shit like that is just giving me chills especially with like the knowledge that we have it's just yeah. it really does hit me in in those moments but i will agree early on when he's like kind of standing on the table it's like what is what's happening here but he really does deliver it so well here and like you said that that quote at the end of it is just so funny i loved um when he's like just says they're pirates and zoro and nami are like oh, motherfucker <laughs> like just like their Not reactions again. to it yeah are so great i think zoro even says like this will be good <laughs> and it's also nice when like they sit down and he immediately like gets the the woman sham and is like and holds up the bottle of wine is like keep these coming mm-hmm. yeah. so because we know that boy puts him away captain kuro is not having any of luffy's antics immediately kicks them out but kai is like how can't they just stay the night it's already late enough let's just have them leave in the morning and kuro agrees to that and so the dinner is wrapping up but mary is in the wine cellar i believe it is looking to speak with kaya about the terms of the ownership of the shipyard because it actually turns out that it's not going to be transferred to kaya anymore i guess her and kuro had decided that she's going to transfer the shipbuilding business to kuro to look after since she might be a little too sick kuro does not want him asking too many more questions and just guts this guy right here yeah i mean it sucks because mary is you know such a close character to kaya and usopp and things like that he was one of the nice guys in this household but i just love the violence that we're getting here because it's just a little bit different like i'm sure in the manga we get this shot here but the blood and everything just makes it feel like the tension's a little bit more extra you know and i'm just gonna gas up the speed blitzing because that looks stealth good. walk yeah, yeah. <laughs> trust me bro i've been out here <laughs> so i was about it. pounding the table for cat out of the bag but we didn't get that <laughs> yeah which i'm so upset about he did it but he didn't he didn't say it um, yeah yeah well dude he's not one of the best fighters that names are finishing exactly. moves. Exactly. but the, the speed blitzing was good and they needed to do that that's a defining trait for kuro and it kind of is gonna hit that point eventually so it's good to know that it doesn't look awful right like him just like teleporting back and forth i think it looks pretty good yeah yeah that's what i'm saying like it's not bad and usually that's like a really tough thing to capture in live action just a little bit more of a random just like his character design the claws were amazing seeing the blood on him is just great to see because like dave's saying it got more gruesome and spoiler for later this actually kills mary which i just applaud the writers for making that change oda notoriously doesn't necessarily kill that many characters he does kill a few but if we're gonna up the amount of deaths like i'm always in for the darker stuff and just more mature and realistic portrayal of murdering pirates Mm -hmm. like this so it makes so much more sense especially because he took like five blades through his body he should be dead and it just adds more to the tension and the emotional beats that have that play out through the rest of this arc so i was happy that they did it and then like kuro instantly just like became like a scary villain in this one scene even though you could feel the tension around him so Mm -hmm. this was a this was a win and it kind of builds and sets up the rest of the arc that's always been your biggest takeaway about one piece is just Mm -hmm. the lack of death but why Mary was looking for Kaya in the wine cellar, man, that is a question beyond me. <laughs> you know, it's that. And then, you know, what's funny is that I didn't go back to confirm it, but this was like the it, it's the same exact set 
of the map room. Dude, oh, I that's what they the said. Thing. I noticed it because like when he walks or like Mary's at the gate, I'm like, this looks exactly yeah. like Tommy was fighting. And I'm like looking around, I'm like, this definitely is exactly what yeah. Tommy was fighting. It was but funny. We'll, we'll overlook those things. No, it, it, I don't even think it's a bad thing. It's just funny. Yeah, they, they do that it off. in all shows. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And this is going to be the two sub buckets we split into. Yes, this is the two sub buckets. So okay. we'll start with just Nami going through Kai's room and stuff. Okay, yeah, we'll start with Nami. So Nami, it's later in the night. Everyone's supposed to be asleep, and Nami finds herself wandering the halls. She is clearly looking to pickpocket some of these valuable items and cat burglar. The cat burglar is doing what she does best. And she hears some noises with a bag full of goodies, and she runs into this random room. But of course, it is <laughs> Kaya's room. And this was honestly, uh, I thought, a very great scene um, because it really emphasizes the person that Kaya is. So instead of freaking out that Nami has completely stolen all of these things, she just kind of is like, you know, I have all this stuff anyway, and I'm not doing anything with it. You might as well take it. And so the two kind of begin to bond over Kaya's past a little bit, and Nami seems to have made a new friend. And this was just a really heartwarming moment, especially because we know Nami is potentially up to no good with who, with how she called someone on the transponder cell uh, snail last episode. Zoro's been kind of hounding her for being a thief and not very trustworthy. So this scene here does kind of emphasize the fact that Nami also does have is capable of feeling emotions and feeling pity on others, even though she kind of does not show that in the first two episodes. She's a different kind of thief. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've actually really enjoyed how well they've been showing like those little hints about Nami's character. Like we all know what this is culminating to. I'm not going to get into that, but like these little tidbits of of the cell phone transponder snail, like her little glances, this little interaction with with Kaya. It's like don't let people tell you how to live. Don't let people have to tell you how to the do. She, Kaya also asks like, "Have you ever experienced the loss of someone close to you?" And she lies and says, "She lies." But that's something that Nami can still resonate with at least. So yeah, yeah. this just goes back. Nami's been the best caricature of anime Nami, I think. I just love yeah. this energy that Kaya's bringing, man. She's great. She's such she a nice person. Fantastic. I think the Kaya's actress is awesome. I thought it's she like really the emotion you're supposed to get out of her. And I guess this storyline, I thought they nailed it. And she was obviously like a huge part of that. I really love this interaction. I again just this idea of Nami like having all of these, you know, preconditioned beliefs about how the world works, and then she's continuously getting confronted with potentially like an ulterior perspective on things. Like I liked how Kai is like, you know, yeah, like it's too many things, you know, like I'd rather donate them to charity. And Nami's like, I'm not charity or whatever, and that kind of stuff. But she's realizing, you know, that maybe all rich people aren't just terrible people type of deal. So it's just fun to watch, I guess, Nami interact with with the world and her kind of preconceived notions. And obviously Emily Rudd is fantastic. And we see how that's kind of changing her as she leaves the room. She actually returns everything that she stole rather than keeping them. So chalk one up for Nami there. And so now we'll get into Luffy and Zoro, who are also wandering the halls at night. Luffy, of course, looking for food and Zoro looking for a drink. I guess the ones, the fruity drinks that he was drinking earlier weren't good enough. He needs some <laughs> some ale or something. Some IPAs. Yeah, he needs some IPAs. <laughs> but they stumble across Usopp in the kitchen and they kind of are just Pressing him into his relationship with Kaya, asking if that's his girlfriend. <laughs> they both kind of deny these statements in their own respective conversations. But Usopp is essentially telling them he can't leave her because of how much she needs him and how much she depends on Usopp. 
also in this moment, Usopp tells them about his dad is a great pirate and that he's been essentially awaiting his return ever since he was a kid. He name drops Yasop. And of course, Luffy has this glowing reaction to hearing that his father is Yasop saying, oh my God, I know Yasop very well. He was a pirate on my boy Shanks's crew. I have all these stories of you. And it honestly, to me, it was like Usopp might have seemed a little bit jealous because Luffy was sharing those interactions with his dad and Usopp has not had a single interaction with his dad. So it seemed like he had a little bit of like, maybe not jealousy, but kind of envied Luffy for being able to hear actual stories of like piracy from his dad and all these stories. So that was a really cool interaction there. Yeah. I love uh, Zoro's reaction to kind of them trying to get like talking about like feelings and things like that. Like the idea of Usopp asking Zoro, like, do you think she like likes me? It's just like, like that idea is just really funny You're to think about the wrong people. Right yeah. Yeah. It's just good. The character interactions, all of them are just really good. I like that Usopp was just casually shooting his popcorn kernels into the pot and stuff like that. Like that was just cool kind of thing. That was just, I guess, somewhat going on in the background, technically. Whoa, you're a great shot. <laughs> Good delivery, right? <laughs> and that's also great when uh, Zoro's like whatever, like looking for the drink, and Usopp's like, "Oh, there's a wine cellar downstairs." And he goes, "Why didn't you tell me that earlier?" <laughs> that's good. And then that transitions us into the wine cellar. They're looking around, and then Usopp stumbles over Mary's confirmed dead body, which is again great for manga readers because he isn't actually dead in the manga. And we get the big reveal here that Clahodor is Captain Kuro, and we see a little bit of his sinister side here. Him and Zoro are about to throw down, and we get a complete tease because it is Sham that just knocks him out with the bottle over across his head. Um, they dispose of him and Mary's body into a well outside of the house. In the meantime, while all this is going down, Luffy stayed in the kitchen to fulfill his needs of uh. wanting food and meat. Sees a big pot of blue stuff and is like, ah, oh, this let me just goop. Yeah, let me yeah. consume every drop of this shit. And <laughs> just down the hatch it goes. Uh, and that is classic Luffy. The last we see, I believe, of Luffy in this episode. Usopp goes out into town, rings the bell, does what the boy who cried wolf has been doing, saying that pirates are here. It's late at night, so people are extra not willing to listen to Usopp. He's just getting completely kicked out of every house that he's telling people the pirates are here. We need help. But there is one person that is willing to listen, and that is Kobe. Which the legend. We said in the first podcast, we're going to keep bringing it up anytime a new one at posters there. And it's already been hinted at multiple times. We've actually seen it and talked about it. But Kuro's official one at poster shows up when he announces that he's Captain Kuro of the Thousand Plants. And then he also says Black Cat Pirates, which I just like coining the name of his crew was yeah. cool. But he's, as a reminder, 16 million berries compared to Buggy's 15 million. And I thought he has so far the best interaction with his one at poster of just it popping up and him just clawing right through. It was yeah. really fucking cool to see. I'm sure you guys talked about it on the last podcast episode, but that uh, that might be my favorite thing in the whole show they interact yeah maybe like the character it's it's awesome it's fucking it's literally the coolest way they could have visualized how the manga does it and it turns red the numbers and then they all interact with it in some yeah it's so and it's like in like the the theme or like the flow of the scene always too it's just like it's really good i fucking love it doesn't feel out of place at all like it it doesn't feel like a text uh, on the screen or anything like that exactly they didn't show roger's bounty we talked about that too they showed his one at poster when we saw him but they purposely covered it up all right, now we are going to pick up with the Marine portion of this episode. I, yeah, episode three. Of, of episode three. 
Kobe is showing off his nautical skills by tying some secure knots, knots, even has like to, the legend that he is. Yeah, has to redo Helmepo's because his is so bad. And Garp comes out and is actually pretty impressed by Kobe's ability to tie knots and puts Helmepo in his place a little bit here, which is always great to see because he's a as of right now, a doucher. Garp takes Kobe to his quarters and invites him to play a game of Go. We find I don't know if they announced that the game is Go in the show, but I looked it up because I thought it was Othello. I was going to ask. I thought it was Othello at first, but I I knew it wasn't, but it's Go. And so Garp wipes the floor with him in the first game, but he does teach Kobe about a little bit some of the of life lessons, even though it does translate into the game very well. He teaches Kobe that he will never win focusing on not losing. He's playing too defensive and he needs to be on the attack a little bit more. And to with this knowledge in mind, Kobe does actually get the better of Garp. And we it does seem like he gets the better of Garp a couple times here because a little another scene goes by and Helmelpo interrupts one of their games that Kobe was going to win again and announces that he's found a Jolly Roger in the wreckage of I forget <laughs> what it was, but it's Luffy's shittily drawn pirate flag. Garp takes a close look at it. Certainly piques his interest, of course, decides to have Kobe lead a mission of hunting down the pirates. Essentially, he's going to gather a party of people. He looks at Helmeppo and actually tells him, even though you are the most senior cadet, your nepotism and your skills can only get you so far. He doesn't really have any skills that Garp has noticed at all. And so he actually and chooses Kobe over Helmeppo for this situation. And Helmeppo is obviously not too pleased about it. And Kobe seems to be a little bit shocked by this as well. But this is a chance for him to prove himself. And again, this is all non-manga stuff. And I think it's really cool seeing the interactions of Garp and Kobe develop rather than just behind the scenes in the story. I love it. And I am, I guess for the listeners, the OG Kobe fan, the OG Kobe stan, Team Kobe forever in a day. Uh, so it's just fantastic to see this. Uh, I love Garp, too, in the live action. It's just interesting how much we're getting of him. It makes sense, I feel like, from their perspective of, like, you know, with a TV show, they need to kind of have characters that are, like, involved consistently. And, like, One Piece, I guess, is a kind of classic for, like, people just pop in and out of the story whenever it's convenient or they run into each other, things like that. So I think this is a fantastic change, and it's brilliant. And like you said, it's almost, like, understood that this is happening in the manga, but like we don't see it. So it's really fun to see it. I guess this is a little bit of a hot take, maybe depending on just based on Kyle's response right there. I like all of these scenes that are going on with Kobe and Garp, and I like how much we're getting about them, but I'm starting to feel the opportunity cost of these scenes at times where it's great that we're getting this, but I can tell that it's at the cost of more screen time with not just our straw hats, which is fine because they're going to get so much screen time anyway, but it's taking away from like the individual villain arcs like Buggy and Kuro probably could have gotten a little bit more time in each of their arcs. And it's being sacrificed to build up Garp, Kobe and Helmeppo, which maybe it'll work out in the end. I'll be satisfied, but I'm definitely a- this was the first moment of the show so far where I was very aware of how much screen time they're getting and the opportunity cost that comes with it. But again. I like the scenes in a vacuum. It's just what is it costing us in the long run? So we're gonna we're gonna see how it plays out. But Alki and Dave, what do you guys? I mean, it also yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. It leads us to be more susceptible as manga expert manga readers. This is where they're really freeballing it. And I know again, we've talked about <laughs> I know we've talked about Oda being on the show and being a big part of it. So again, I'm really not worried about it at all. 
but this is stuff that could potentially be worrisome if they're going to veer that much off the manga a little bit. But I'm yeah, gonna- more Kobe time is priceless. <laughs> Look, I like Kobe a lot, but too much of him could impede the impact of his growth. And like, I know that every show has to veer off the, the source material in some ways, but like, this has been a lot of garp. And I just, I, I'm not going to say it's a bad thing yet, but you know, I wonder how closely they're going to follow this theme, like in seasons two or however many seasons we have. So we'll see. You guys are haters. <laughs> I told you, I don't not like the scenes and the haters. Garp actor is incredible. And the Kobe casting is, we, we said it on the first podcast, arguably like a one-to-one perfect casting. So yeah. it's not complaints about the material that we're giving. It's complaints about just potentially getting less of other stuff. We get some uh, buggy action here, but we're going to actually save that for the very end of the podcast because um, that kind of transitions us into the second half of season one. So we'll just save that for the end here, and then we'll just kind of kick it right off into the start of episode four here with our straw hats. And so uh, I'm just going to quickly cover Zoro's because... We've already covered the backstory. He's just basically going to be in the well through most of this for like half this episode. And then when he gets out, we'll announce that. But to start with Nami, who is running frantically around the house, stumbles across Luffy passed out in the kitchen, (laughs) clearly not looking well. She notices the pot of blue goop has just been completely hidden. She hears some people coming and decides to hide in the in the cabinet to to which she now hears the plans of Kuro talks about how he's going to kill Kaya, take the money. They've been poisoning her for years, which is the big twist here, which I honestly kind of forgot about in the manga, too. I forgot Kuro was responsible for Kaya's illness. And that, again, just shows how fucked up Kuro is um, and how desperate he is for this for this plan to go well. When Kuro and Butchie leave, Nami comes out of the cabinet and knocks out Sham. And that's where we leave her. And Nami is yeah. continuing to be a badass. Catch that dub. And so now here we get... Usopp giving more information to Kobe and Helmeppo about Captain Kuro. Helmeppo is quick to not believe Usopp at all since he's under the assumption that Kuro is dead because Axan Morgan has killed him. So Helmeppo does not really believe anything here. Usopp also name drops Luffy and Kobe's ears kind of perk up in excitement, if anything. And so they all walk to the house together and, you know, Usopp is trying to tell Kobe that, you know, this is the guy right here that's causing all these issues. He's planning on killing Kaya. And Kobe does some some weak investigating and dude, so funny. And he just like touches his hands. Makes <laughs> the assumption like, I mean... that there's no evidence here and that he is innocent. So a little yeah. bit a little bit far fetched. And Kuro, I mean, <laughs> there are noises in the background that Kobe is trying to investigate a little bit further, but Kuro's kind of dodging those answers yeah. and just saying, ah, oh, it's the house itself. It's old. Yeah. And creepy. Crow was great in this scene. I thought his actor was fucking awesome here. Yeah. I truly think Crow has been like watching it more and more. I have loved Crow a lot more still buggy taking the cake for me because yeah. he was just absolutely flawless. But Crow has been also amazing as well. They asked for Luffy because that is actually the main reason they're there. They're not there to help with the situation of Captain Crow. The main reason that, they the marines were assigned there were to capture luffy and his crew so they asked for luffy who they captain crow admits to harboring and they hand him over but kobe does notice is that luffy looks a little out of it usopp escapes to kaya's room and kind of is letting the truth out he's telling her that Cloudor is yeah. captain kuro he's a murderer he killed uh, mary and here we see kaya actually not believe him because 
to her in her eyes Usopp's stories in the past were always fun and she always enjoyed them this one is not so fun and so she does not want to believe it at all slaps Usopp and this does happen in the story yeah it is brutal to watch because Usopp is telling the truth here you can see it on his the look on his face here how much he wants Kaya to believe her and how much he wants to help Kaya but she is not buying into it especially because of the loyalty that Crow has upheld for the past three years to her but Thankfully, Nami quickly comes in to provide some reassurance, doubles down on the the information that Captain Kuro is who he says or who Usopp is saying him to be. And that's kind of when we see Kaya develop. Okay, this is actually all this is all true. And then they do the the Rick and Morty style house lockdown. Oh, yes. I was totally getting the vibes when Rick hits the button and just shuts the down. (laughs) Yeah, so with with the cat out of the bag, Kuro decides to lock down the house. He uses some weird wheel that shuts the power down. The doors become berated, uh, barricaded, berated. Barricaded. Berated. (laughs) So they're not able to start yelling at him. And it's the timing is because it was midnight and Kaya officially turned 18, so she inherited the shipyard and then the plan was to just murder her and then it would all transfer over to Captain Kuro. Sham was the one that told Kuro after waking after being knocked out that everyone knows everything and so that's yeah. when all that This was happened. cool. I like this like the whole lockdown system. I feel like a nice little subtle like you know she's like a pirate attack so it's just I don't know for me it was interesting like I guess quote unquote world building of like you know people are obviously aware of the existence of pirates and the threat of pirates and things like that that's just like was a fun Little detail, in my opinion. And just really quickly here, we get uh, Kobe and Helmeppo walking Luffy to their ship, but Helmeppo actually calls out Kobe for being used by Garp. He thinks that he's just playing him to get closer to the pirates. Kobe doesn't believe it at all, but Luffy, of course, is kind of waking up a little bit. Helmeppo goes over to Straw Hat to get, I guess, some questions answered, and Luffy just pukes all over him, which... <laughs> It's very funny and just very on point for Luffy, just not understanding it, the severity of the situation, just doing whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, it was a little triggering for me. That's happened to me personally, and I was like, ugh. This is a little bit important, too, here that we do see the convictions of Kobe holding true as much as he does love Luffy and wants to believe everything that he's saying. He was here for a reason. He was on a mission to capture Luffy. So he does in this moment as Luffy's walking back to the house. He tries to stop Luffy, but he really can't get himself to do it because Luffy tells him that. If you want to protect innocent people, Kaya is that innocent person. You need to help. Like you need to, you need to help by not stopping us. Basically, yeah. I kind of wish Luffy knocked him out a little bit. I feel like that would have really kind of shown that, like, yes, while they're friends, they are, they do have to be enemies at the end of the day. But I think this still does a a good enough job to prove that to us. You're not skipping the two hilarious Zora moments. Yes, when he shows up, and we didn't even clarify this on the first podcast for completely fresh listeners who don't have any experience with one piece they're hinting at it but they're not super explicit about it but zoro is notorious like one of his personality quirks is always getting lost like he just has no sense of direction and so when luffy goes luffy goes up to him first he comes up and knocks out Helmeppo, which was awesome yeah he's like nice haircut which again <laughs> awesome but then then zoro luffy asks him like oh how did you know to come find me because i wasn't i was looking for the house just walking the opposite <laughs> yeah, way not the way to the house at all because they have to turn around and walk to the house oh. zoro has been just like i, I was not hesitant about putting him in my top three like i had him at four for performances but he might be catching that top three after these he doesn't say nice haircut he says what's up haircut (laughs) which is even better yeah Yeah, zoro getting lost it's like one of the best 
tropes of like, yeah, would you say it's, it's so funny. Iconic. <laughs> nah. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't know, Kyle, I introduced our episode one and two talk by saying we might be using the word iconic a lot. And <laughs> we've so been our, good this episode until you said that. But episode one and two, we were throwing that word out. No, no, that's actually, I mean, I would say it is iconic. <laughs> there was a lot of Shanks moments and they're all iconic. So uh, okay. Yeah, that's fair around, enough. That's fair enough. Fruit, yeah. So Roger. Yeah. All that. I was going to bring I was going to say iconic when we were talking about Kuro's like I was, was going to say movement. I got into One Piece later than you guys, but, you know, I love it just as much while I was ah. watching for the first time. Shut the hell <laughs> 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 Such a helmetpo. Nice haircut. Anyway, <laughs> anyway haircut, Luke haircut. always said, like, remember Coral? He's like, I love when he does this. Yeah, and yeah. that stuck just with me. And I'd like seeing it come alive was so refreshing. Was so cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So now going back to the house, Kaya, Usopp, and Nami are able to get back to where the power was shut off to. They're struggling to get the power back on, but I think they do it just enough that the house, some of the lights come on and whatever. Yeah. Um, they like sneak through like a servant's servant. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, quarters to like her parents' room. Yeah. Cause Kuro kind of tries to come in. Yeah. He, he stabs her through the wall. You get, so. He nicks her a little bit there. Yeah. yeah. And in this moment, too, we also see Kaya looking at a picture of her parents. Just, I, I like the scene here because it's just giving Kaya a little bit more depth. Depth, depth. She's getting a little bit more <laughs> depth. She looks at this picture of her and her parents, and she says that they would be so disappointed in me for you know falling for all this. But Nami, again, great moment here, defends her and says, "You did the best that you could. Essentially, there's nothing you could have done here. How would you have known this?" And so I just love this interaction between Nami and Kaya. It really does hit home for me. With them having returned to the house, Zoro and luffy split up and zoro ends up fighting bushy and sham luffy ends up saving kaya from one of kuro's attacks and so this will open up our discussion on basically both of the fight scenes that happen and i'll just start by saying i fucking love these fight scenes (laughs) was big on the uh the choreography of the fights i'm also with him on that i think these were just amazing and bushy and sham again Butchie with the mask looked incredible. Awesome. With the, yeah, with the, the makeup and everything. Just it really was their manga characters on screen. Yeah. These two fights, I'll, I'll have a comment for each of them, but also pre Zoro and Luffy showing up to the mansion. We did have that one moment where they're like hide and seek when Kuro's just like walking around slashing everything. That was cool. But it's amazing when when uh Kuro has the two girls and then Usopp shoots the the slingshot at him and Kuro catches whatever he was shooting at him. So I thought that was a sick moment for um kind of like uh, I can't say that that's a spoiler. So never mind. Just, <laughs> cool, just a cool moment just of him like catching the ball. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the two fights, I sound like a broken record. Zoro for fucking president, dude. Anytime he's fighting with swords is amazing. And then at the, I like how they're just going to keep emphasizing like the third sword special to him and this was all kind of going in parallel with his flashbacks so it made more sense in the show when you're watching it than when we're talking about it but i do like how they emphasize like that the white sword was queen's sword was like in the in the um thrown into the clock or whatever that was and like they make it a moment and it's really cool and i'll shout out to kuro's pirates because they could fight too and like yeah. the the back and forth was amazing there and then just my piece on luffy versus kuro Again, great. I like. I wish he got a little bit more cut off, and I obviously wish for cat out of the bag attack. Just ver- the the words of it, but again, it was great. And then you got to see Luffy really like turning on that fight instinct of closing his eyes and listening. It's just he is just pure instincts when it comes to fighting, and it's just it's good to see those little growth moments because he's going to be fighting some bigger people at some point, and him like establishing that that character growth now is good. Not only is Zoro uh, showing how important the sword is to him. 
I think character other characters are recognizing the rarity, I suppose, or like the value of that sword too. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a an important piece. Yeah. We'll also say that the sword's name is Wado Ichimonji or something like that. I can't pronounce yeah. I'm terrible at these names, but uh it is very famous. They do say I mean the, the sensei character in his flashback pretty much says exactly that. Like we both said, like we both said, like you both said. Um the Zoro fighting is just so good. It always looks so good. It's they use the environment really well too. Like he's like jumping through the broken railing, like all that kind of stuff. Like I love when uh, Butchie and Sham do like the little tag team. He throws her up the stairs. Like yeah, it was just it was just fun to watch. Because I, I mean, One Piece big part of it is like obviously there's a lot of fights and like some of them are goofy and I just think that they not that these were goofy. It's just they're using like the environments well and they feel kind of like true to like the nature of what they should be and gum gum bell baby great move we haven't seen gum gum bell in a while so that was nice to get that kind of refresher and then see him use that move yeah i was so hyped when he said like when he grabs the hands i'm like i know exactly where this is fucking going you gotta (laughs) use that noggin baby you gotta use yeah so what do we have whip pistol bell and bazooka so far those are the four four gum gum attacks that we have so far and they were just they were incredible the the gum gum bell was just amazing to see i wonder if we'll if we'll make it to rhino schneider <laughs> the goat I, I Luffy hope, attack. I hope. I, I can only. I can only hope so much. Uh, can you even imagine what that would look like with Inaki as Luffy just doing a Rhino Schneider? <laughs> no, I can't either. I like when Luffy does the like the like the arced punch to hit Kuro yeah, behind oh, the yeah that was the pillar. Awesome. That was that was a cool move. And again, like I'm sure you guys mentioned it on the first episode of the like rubber CGI looks really good. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, and like the sound effects are good too. I, I love how he always like like kind of like cocks his hand back, like when it when it snaps back, like he feels that like the kickback recoil of it. I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I will say here too is that Luffy actually suffers his first bit of damage that we've seen. Um, we've seen him be able to tank punches, bullets, falling to the ground at, from ridiculously high heights, and none of that has phased him. But we do see a weakness here in blades. So just think that's a little bit important. Yep. Uh, Slice that rubber up. Exactly. Rubber is, is very defensive against a lot of things, but not so much blades. To wrap up everything, Luffy gets the better of Captain Kuro with the gum gum bell. Zoro gets the better of Sham and Butchie. And now the crew has them basically, at least Butchie and Sham specifically tied up. It's, I think it's important that Captain Kuro gets away because i'll just announce it now in the next couple scenes whatever we do see captain kuro leaving on a little boat by himself uh leaving a little dinghy yeah and we'll just go right into it so in return for helping kaya with getting rid of the black cat pirates the straw hats are now given the going mary let's go fucking amazing hype we get the confirmation here that Mary did actually die from Captain Kuro. They want to honor him and the ship by naming him the Going Mary. And so this uh, just memorable moment from the, the <laughs> now fuck it. It's iconic. <laughs> the ship is fuck that so memorable iconic, shit, but it looks the ship is iconic. Uh, it really looks incredible. Alki was kind of talking a little bit before the podcast about like, where does all like this budget go to? Like we haven't seen like we've seen some CGI a little bit here and there, but like not to be enough to the to explain the budget that they've needed and i think it's for things like this like we saw behind the scenes that the ship is real like it is actually the going mary ship yeah, and i feel like fucking awesome you just can see the detail that they put into the ship and it really does look amazing another 
I-word moment is Luffy sitting on the Going Mary's head. That is just a shot that we will get very accustomed to over and over. That is Luffy's spot on the ship is him sitting on the head of the Going Mary. I said this while we were watching. That Yahoo. I've been really enjoying the show. That Yahoo gave me goosebumps. I felt like the chills that I've felt while awesome. reading and watching the anime before. And I was like, wow, it hits. It struck a chord with me, you know, and it was pretty cool. And I, I think I'm finally starting to really appreciate this guy's um, Luffy. Like, I think he's doing a pretty good job. He really is. Yeah. I have a couple <laughs> things here. This is just everything up until the final thing. With- yeah. Let me just we can just yeah. all just tell us the last scene and then we'll just we'll cover talk, everything we'll talk everything you just said the final final scene is uh we get of the marines kobe is talking to garp basically beating himself up for failing the mission of not having captured and returned luffy garp tells him look you're gonna live and learn from these uh missions essentially no big deal that they weren't able to get away and then we get a great moment here so the crew is straw uh luffy zoro and nami they're all on the going merry set and sail when they start to hear some cannon fire usopp bro he's... oh and usopp now like how you already that? skipped him getting recruited too but we'll let's go yeah. let that go <laughs> all right well fresh fresh set of eyes <laughs> usopp does get the invite to join the crew after they get yes, the going merry and now they have all agreed to set sail and i actually want to mention usopp gets a kiss from kaya as he goes hell yeah in the manga we were talking about it not a single character kisses i think ever in the manga so this was great for us we get usopp's dream of wanting to kiss kaya come to fruition in the show um but so now that they're all on the ship they hear cannon fire being launched at them. They look over their back. It's a marine ship. Luffy takes a look through the what are those called? It's not binoculars. What is the singular one called? Does anyone know? Either way, can notice. Yeah, I'm sorry. That there is Garp is the one throwing these. Garp throwing them. It's Garp is the one launching these cannonballs at them. And Luffy's response is Grandpa. And they do, the, they do the classic manga scene of each one's face at the top. The yeah, top. yeah. It's, Grandpa. Yeah. I'm stealing some things here. Yeah, I, ahead, just, yeah. I just fuck, man. This was so good. A lot of this stuff was great. Uh, there's like two amazing little moments that if you if you were looking in the background when they happened, they just really got me was when Luffy does invite um, Usopp to join the crew. And then uh, he like screams out whatever he, he he screams. And I think he like hugs the crew. And you even see like Zoro and Nami like laughing, like genuinely laughing and smiling. And that was freaking amazing for me. Maybe I'm misremembering this, but I think this is word for word how it happens in the manga with Zoro's dialogue of Luffy inviting him Usopp to join the crew. And he says, just come on already. Like, I think that's how Zoro says yeah. it in the manga. Yeah. So that was really cool. Usopp gets coined as the sharpshooter, just like his dad, Yasa, which is awesome. Luffy's like, we need a sharpshooter. Makes perfect sense to invite him in the crew. And then the last thing I'll say is also kind of similar to my first point with the the camaraderie of the crew is when they're all down in the basement of, or whatever they're they're under the ship. And then Usopp does brings out his own flag that he that he drew of himself, whatever they ha- and then they're going back and forth like I'm the captain, I'm the captain. And then they act, and then Nami like breaks the silence with like a like a genuine laugh again. Just another freaking great moment that you could see like Us- uh, Nami and Zoro really getting into the idea of being a crew. They haven't like flat out rejected Luffy's like anytime he's been saying it recently so it's good it's kind of starting to grow and you can feel it like they are going through some shit together now and it's starting to build their bond and it's awesome that's one of the things that we don't get like a ton of in the manga especially not like lately for us of them like kicking it on the boat and the ship and stuff and it's always just fun 
for them to interact like outside of combat or like you know having to solve a problem or an issue so i, I just yeah it's just so fun i just have the biggest smile on my face literally from the time i start an episode to when i finish an episode and it just i think was probably the widest during this scene um just for that exact reason that interaction with the crew we'll call them it was uh very heartwarming i enjoyed um i enjoyed that was probably one of my favorite crew moments definitely so far but so earlier in episode three like we had mentioned um we got a shot of buggy just still in his tent on his ship whatever you want to think of it yeah in the town still um we see a strange figure show up who we find out his name is karobi and i'm just going to tell you guys right now he is what you call a fish man so this fishman shows up to buggy's place and says that arlong wants a word with him but buggy being the the arrogant clown that he is says he does not take requests and tries to attack karobi but that does not go so well for him he actually gets his shit rocked by the fishman um karobi uh, the old uh... dude fishman karate maybe a little skibbity pat yeah yeah yeah, the skibbity bop (laughs) he gives him a little (laughs) skibbity pat (laughs) (laughs) hell yeah baby shout out maho that's from our D campaign kyle's a big (laughs) skibbity papper (laughs) so buggy gets captured and is brought to arlong who basically is reminding him of his place in the food chain which i love how he calls it the food chain because that is part of arlong's character he reminds buggy that if you're going to do a job in the east blue you're going to have to tribute me in some way you know give me a reward piece of the the treasure whatever it is and so he's boss yeah he's arlong is the boss we can clearly see that here and we do actually see his bounty i forgot to mention this Mm -hmm. as well it is 20 million so it is actually the it has taken Kuro over Kuro for the highest bounty we've seen so far. Again, I like his uh, poster interaction. Did he just fight it or something? Yeah, he, yeah, <laughs> he, he just cuts it up with his nose. <laughs> yeah, he was about to. He was about to kill Buggy here, but then Buggy offers him to help him with the pirate that's been causing all these issues. Straw Hat Luffy Arlong doesn't really show any interest. Uh, one thing, really briefly, we find out here too that Arlong does not show any interest in the One Piece. He's more so after his own gains. It looks like he actually calls out people for looking for the one piece calling them like idiots it's just a way for them to like inflate their egos yada 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 things like that so specifically specifically humans yeah i was just gonna say that it's cool that they quit in this one scene established that he's essentially a human racist Mm -hmm. huge part of his character and they did a good job of just showing that straight up just how he worded things but it does seem like potentially he doesn't agree to buggy's terms but he lets buggy go so it's kind of like an unspoken all right, maybe we should kick this guy's butt. So we'll, does that mean yeah. Buggy comes back? I think I think a lot of these characters that we're not used to seeing a lot of in the manga are going to make more appearances in the show, and I think Buggy is now going to fall in that category of I think we're going to get more Buggy eventually. Fucking good. I I love the idea of Arlong like being like a big boss in the East Blue and interacting with like villains. Because yeah. it's obviously, you know, more in the in the manga, like the villains are, they only interact with the Straw Hats. They don't really interact with each other so much. So this is like a fun little change from the um, from the source material that works perfectly for me. And I think it, it elevates, I think, honestly, I think it's better for the show to do this as well. Yeah. Because from like watching as an audience, like it's better to kind of string these villains together and kind of give us kind of more of an idea of them versus like just a straight villain of the week type of deal which they could have done and i'm glad that they didn't all right so if there's no other comments we're gonna let the live action only show watchers kind of step out of the room here we're gonna be doing a little bit of a 10 minute ish thanks for listening though 
yeah, thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, <laughs> you know, we'll be here in a couple days back with episodes five and six. We'll Let's give, give you... them a parting shot there real quick of just everybody saying what your favorite episode has been so far. And then we can just move on to the spoiler talk. Should we do it on three? Like one, two, three. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, shout out Kathleen. <laughs> uh, um, I'm just going to quickly go. I'll say episode one. And they're all close, though. They're all close. Yeah, every, I liked every single one of them. One was my favorite. Three was my least favorite. Yeah, same answer. Exactly. One was just... And I mean, it probably helps that we were like together watching it, too. So it was like, you know, the camaraderie was there. You know, the crew was together. So One is perfection. Yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm tied for one and two. And yeah. then the worst is probably three. Mm-hmm. But it's like worst is, you know, it's yeah. not really worst. Right. And I started to watch five and it's good. <laughs> I'm going to probably so. watch it while you guys uh, game for the rest of the yeah. night. So Baldur's uh, Gate, baby. All right. So live action people, you got three, two, one. All right. Welcome subject matter experts to the anime <laughs> manga talk of one piece um the first thing i want to ask i guess in terms of spoilers is my big question is now that we have mary killed do we think characters in the future like pell will be subject to death actual death like i feel like there's a chance that oda kind of realizes yeah. that the community was in an uproar that pell survives the the nuke mm-hmm. point blank and i feel like this is his <laughs> chance to kind of go back and be like all right Maybe we can just ditch Pell because even where we're at in the manga, Pell has done nothing. Like even his, his being alive has affected nothing in the world. So I, I think yeah. they could easily kill him. So make it grim dark. Yeah. Maybe not Pell specifically, but you guys think yeah. more characters are on the show. I think they are going to die, but personally, I don't it never really took that much away from the story for me that people like Mary or Pell survived. It gets more annoying when it's, I, I think, think, bigger baddies or something like that. That's fine. But I feel like Mary, like, because they're not in contributing to the story. Like, Pell being alive does not, it, while you think him being alive doesn't change anything, you take it as a negative. To me, I'm just very indifferent about it. Yeah. Well, it just means that villains don't, aren't threatening to anybody. But Pell, yeah. I just think Pell specifically yeah, calls out to me because, like, sure, okay. I mean, this this it's is just like, like an anime. obvious. It's an obvious one that sticks out because like, like how could nuke. he possibly yeah, survive? It's a nuke. Whereas like okay, like sure, Mary took five knives inside of him, and sure that would kill anybody. But like, there's a level of I guess anime physics to me that makes me think okay, you can survive that. Whereas a nuke right in your face, yeah. if you're not, if you're not <laughs> like if you're not like uh. Blackbeard or Whitebeard. Like that shit's no. This is giving me a lot of hope that yeah. they're going to be more realistic, and they have to be more realistic because you can't have cop out, fake out deaths in live action. Like people are all bloody and dying, and then they just are fine. It just won't look good mm-hmm. with real people. So I think yeah. Shout out Will of Time. That's exactly right. true. You can't paint. Over, you can't gloss over like these physical yeah. events. Yeah. You know, it's impossible to. So yeah, probably these types of characters, Pell, Mary, mm-hmm. and whoever so forth, will likely remain perished so i have a couple things written down not a lot of manga stuff to talk about because like shanks is gone so we haven't been hitting a bunch of those things it was more straightforward these episodes but just quick hitters and let me know what you guys think like kuro living was that how it happened i kind of forget in the manga if that if he does get away on something like that because like is he coming back because he's definitely not i can see him coming back in the show yeah but i mean like i don't like he hasn't played a role in the manga at all because him and Don Krieg are like the only two people that never really come back. Like even yeah. Arlong is shown in flashbacks in Fishman Island and stuff. So like these two in just my head, like I'm thinking about One Piece are the two that never come back. And it seems like they, they left the door open for him to come back. 
I don't know if they're going to. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, he has the moniker. I like that they dropped it here of the curl of a, of a thousand or hundred plans or whatever it ends up being. I like, again, I, I could see the show working him back in, like finding a spot for him just to like, you know, make the world feel, I guess, more real and like lived in that. Like we're kind of seeing these characters and the villains are consistent, like with the Arlong point I made. But I mean, that'll be interesting to see. It would be fun. Crazy if he does come back. Yeah. I don't even know how he would interact with other people. But yeah. OK, so that was my one quick thing. I fact checked it. Luffy then threw Kuro toward the Blackhead Pirates, who took their captain to the Bazon Black, which I assume is their ship, and sailed away. Okay, so it's similar to what, like, like kind of happened. Jin, Gin, or Jin, whatever you want to say, does with Don Krieg and all them when he like sails away from Barati at the end of the manga, mm-hmm. and he just you never see him again. So there is a non-canon part which I watched the anime for a large portion of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Luffy gets like a bounty reveal, they pan towards Kuro and who's reading the newspaper and ah. saying it. Yeah, so that's technically non-canon. It happened gotcha. in anime. And then it says, while Kuro's whereabouts are currently unknown, it seems the Marine Pirates have become aware that he's still alive and as such have had a, his bounty reactivated. I feel like we've definitely seen some like manga cover panels of yeah, like, Captain Curry's or Captain Curry's Kuro story. He hasn't had a cover story. Uh, I mean, it's been a while, but I think he has like in the past had like at least a section of three chapter covers. So I would say no, he's not been part of the actual story who knows what's going to happen with the live action i mean i'd be fine with him coming back for some like yeah, who knows team ties up into some... with like what kyle was saying with villains in the east blue kind of interacting with he want with one another like i wonder if he's going to go talk to another villain that we uh, i'm just not too sure either but there is yeah. there was a specific reason they purposely showed us him leaving the island yeah. and then we also skipped Django in the sh- and yeah, so let's, up, we yeah. can talk about him because maybe I'm making this up, but I could have sworn there is already concept, like maybe images from the show. I thought there were images of the show of Django's wanted poster, and maybe it's just the wanted poster, and they decided to just put it like back shelf it. But I really expected him to come into the story because he's so important for Kuro's plans with putting everybody to sleep and under hypnosis, and eventually he's going to join the Marines and do. I don't know if they're just going to completely skip him. But he, I was surprised he wasn't there. He's definitely been a cover story character that we've gotten a lot of through like Kobe's training and all that stuff. And yeah. I'm definitely curious as well. Like I didn't I specifically didn't want to bring his name up in the actual episode talk because I'm not sure if like you said, we will actually get him or not. And he's an important character, but I guess if you think about it, he's maybe he is a cuttable character. Like we saw we've seen a couple characters already get cut a little bit, like I don't know. I honestly, uh, it's it'll be curious to see if they pick him up at some point along the way. Uh, with like, maybe he's riding with a different pirate crew. I'm not too sure though. Yeah, that is what happens with Alvita, right? She joins a crew. She joins. She joins with Buggy. She joins Buggy. Yeah. Log Town after she gets a fruit. So that's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like Kuro, who knows? Like if we saw Arlong announcing himself as basically like the king of the East Blue, you know, like maybe Kuro in some way has a tie to Arlong. Or I something. just hope the story, the show writers. They don't feel compelled to keep some of these characters involved. If it's not necessary, it's not necessary. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be good on that. Does anyone, I mean, that for me, the absolute number one spoiler awesome thing was Luffy talking to the Mary and then Usopp answers and he's like, oh my God, you can talk, like thinking the ship can talk. And I was like, yeah, 
Oh my God! What an Easter You'll egg that is. You'll find out soon, Luffy. You'll find out soon that that ship damn right is going to be talking to you. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. I've was... been doing a couple of Easter eggs like that where it's so subtle, but it will eventually mean something later on. I love it. I think that's the Easter eggs in the show in all four episodes have been great. Kyle, you missed it. We talked about the hockey of like Shanks's hockey. Yeah, that's actually like, that's perfect time because I'm I want to bring up Garp's fist of love that he when he punches Luffy in the manga, um, and like everyone, all the crew members around him are shocked like luffy like you felt that and then that kind of goes into what we were talking about last episode like if garp does punch luffy and luffy feels it are they gonna in any way show us hockey or are they just gonna leave it be as a as just a regular fist i would be sick i mean at this point why not? I, I would love it if they gave us like the bushuoko like the bing like it turns black and he punches that would be really cool i don't think they like will they though i think it's you though if they're it's i feel it's, like it's, there's it's, no it's, point i feel like because it, it like i feel like oda has admitted not necessarily retcon, but like we're seeing the hockey now, I guess, in the sense that like now, because like the characters know what it is and stuff. Yeah, but like, I don't think that like type of perspective limitation should apply to the One Piece live action. So you're saying they could show it? I'm saying they should. I'm because yeah, like yeah, yeah, I, yeah, when great. Oda was writing this thing, I don't think he. I feel like he's admitted that he wasn't thinking so much about like yeah. the visualization of it, the physical one. Like yeah. if he was going to rewrite it, I'm sure it would, maybe would be there. So. Well, the also, show should we, totally do it. We know that there's a strike that does not require the black like hockey, like the way the CP9 does, you know, shave yeah. and all those like the, you can hit logias or whatever. And it's not yeah, but, technically hockey, but it's on the trail of it. Anyway, I'm give me the black the shit. I want it. Yeah. I um saw some tweet like a uh, concept art of live action Kaido. <laughs> and to think that it's possible they could. You know, bring Wano. Huh? I heard we were fan casting Jason Momoa for Kaido. Well, that's what it actually was. It was like literally Jason Momoa as like Cal Drogo morphed into yeah into Kaido that's, kind of. But it so but it looked good. And the yeah, fact Jason that, Momoa is going to be fucking seventy by the time they get to that. The fact that we're even throwing around the possibility of Wano getting recreated in live action format is freaking. I never thought we'd be here as One Piece fans, and especially like us asking for it. Like it's one thing. Yeah, like, yeah, great point. You know, I mean, I actually would probably. Not not ask for it so <laughs> i mean it all depends that. on how this keeps going i guess we'll see but yeah the fact that we're even considering even wanting yeah a live action yeah. of wano is just still show, I just, giving hats off to the show i can't wait to meet more fruit eaters like but just how they're going to visualize so powers smoker so badly i'm so ready to get the smoker and shit <laughs> so yeah it's going to be fun to see who is actually the next uh fruit user that we're going to come across because it's not anybody in arlong park not anyone in the barati really so we're going to be a little probably bit done. It probably will season. be Smoker next season. If anything. yeah, I was going to say we probably we won't might, this season. Maybe actually. they end the season with like shadowing, um, foreshadowing mm-hmm. Crocodile. They could also but we wouldn't some, see his powers. We could also see some maybe some random Baroque Works employees with powers. Who knows? But yeah, it's right. just tough because you don't want to cast them now if you're not going to use them in the scenes yet. So they probably won't. Yeah, like, yeah. do that. But so yeah, true. I'm with you. But all right, any final thoughts for the spoiler talk? In there, baby. That's halfway through. I'm about to rewatch it all again. I have one comment, but I'm going to save it for the final wrap up when we uh, talk about the series as a whole. Write it down so you don't forget it. Yeah. But that'll be good. All right. So that's going to be it for our coverage of Netflix's live action One Piece. As usual, if you like what you heard, subscribe to us on whatever podcast app you're listening to us on. We're always dropping new content. Right now, we're also covering a Wheel of Time. 
We got Jujutsu Kaisen. If you're looking for more anime content, you know, we're just busy. We're busy at the end of the day. And so, (laughs) yeah, go on, busy guys. You want to follow us at Bingetown TV on all socials like x.com, Instagram, et cetera. Be sure to check out our Discord again. Um, that'll be there. A link for that will be in the description of the episode. It's been building a lot of steam recently, and we're building a really great community through there. So you definitely want to join um, while the getting's good. We will have um, episodes five and six covered next for One Piece. We'll be doing them in twos as usual. And that's going to be it. Once again, we are Bingetown TV. And thanks for listening. Kaizoku. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 